tired. So tired. Overtired. Hey, you're listening to Overtired. Hi. Hi there. I'm Brett Terpstra. I am joined by Christina Warren this week. Jeff is out, uh, but we have a special guest to take his place. Marchin, is it witchery? Wickery? Uh, witchery? It, it can be, yes. Uh, it's technically Vihari, but I've lived in America for like 17 years, and <laughs> I'm kind of more used to what you said than my actual name. Yeah, we have... I, I work I work with a very international team and some people have resorted to spelling their names phonetically for Amer- for like American English speakers and some people have just basically changed their name because that's the way everybody says it. Uh poor Stefan, everyone calls him Stefan because it's S T E F A N. I see, and I, which is best. how I would say it, but it's Stefan. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, that says do, so much I, about. I do my best. Like, America. first thing I ask people is, like, how do you say your name? And then Same. I do my best to remember, but a lot of times it throws me. Yeah. So, Marchin, he's he has a, a book coming out. It's a Kickstarter right now um, about keyboards and the history, like 150 years of the the evolution and progression of the computer keyboard and typewriter keyboards and early input devices and it is from what i've seen it's 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 fascinating i've only read excerpts that are up on the kickstarter page around the shifthappens.site uh if anyone yeah. wants to check it out that'll be in the show notes but yeah we're excited to talk we're we're excited to nerd out about keyboards and and all of the uh all of the work that went into that book today great so <laughs> how you guys how, how are you guys how are you I'm I'm good. I'm good. I'd love, love to hear from Marchin. Marchin, because it's been a busy couple of weeks, right? Because uh, the, the the Kickstarter went live, what, uh, like um, last week or week before last? Yeah, a, a week and a half ago. And and uh, it, it's funny. It's it's went really. It's gone really well. I, I, I'm really grateful for people's support because the book is. Um, I like the book. I hope a lot of people like the book, but it's a little bit of a strange book. It's not like a usual book. It's, it's, it's pretty nerdy. It's pretty deep, but it's also very visual. And I think seeing people, um, you know, back it and we met our goal in under two hours. Um, it was incredibly validating, but it's also a strange set of emotions for sure. It's, it's, uh, you know, the Kickstarter is kind of like, I mean, it's going, but it's, it's met its goal, but that doesn't mean that the book is ready. The book is still half a year away. So it's sort of like a, a strange moment of half celebration, <laughs> which I think you, you don't get with maybe traditional publishing, but uh, you sort of inherited this, this strange sequence of steps. And, you know, it's always interesting because, like, I think every big creative project is tricky because even if it goes really well, it's over in a way. Like it, it, it's, it's this sort of, it's almost like a performance. You know, you bring something out there, people maybe like it, maybe don't like it, probably a combination of both. And then then there's this strange like hollowness, right? There's this sort of the end of the, the this stage of performance. And so the Kickstarter was very exciting for a while. And then it started quieting down, which, you know, it would, everything would. And now it's a little strange because I don't know how to feel exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I think that's true of anything. That's, that's, as, that's as exciting as seeing 500 some thousand dollars come in. Um, there's, there's going to be a, there's going to be a hollowness after that excitement is over. Um, speaking of feeling hollow, you guys want to do a quick, quick, uh, mental health check-in 
uh, a mental health corner. Erin has told me she she's going to work on our segue music, uh, but I have failed to get her uh, my notes. So that's on me at this point. But just imagine, if you will, some like martini music, uh, 1950s, maybe even Zarvok's voice saying mental health corner. Just picture it. Just picture it. I'll, Christina, do you want to kick us off? Yes. Mental health corner. Um, my mental health is, is, is pretty good this week. Uh, last week was kind of a mixed bag because I was getting back from vacation and there was the high of vacation, which was awesome. And then I was immediately came back from vacation and um, GitHub announced um, layoffs. Yep. And, uh-huh. and so, uh, it, it, which is, uh, unfortunately, you know, not, uh, unique for, for the tech industry right now. Um, Microsoft had announced some a few weeks earlier, uh, we'd hoped that we would be immune. We were not. And, and so that's, that's hard. Uh, it brings up, as we've talked about on the podcast before, like a lot of past feelings about the industry I used to work in and the uncertainty of things. And it's just, it's, it, you know, and then obviously you, uh, you feel worse for all the people who are losing their jobs, mm-hmm. um, in addition to the, the, the uncertainty about your own position and whatnot, and and even though I, I feel I think I think we're okay, like there are no guarantees, and um, like my immediate concern isn't like whether or not I'll have a job because I I think that I'll be okay. Uh, y- even if I were to lose my job, I I uh, have um, confidence that I would be able to find something. Um, and, and at least I have savings, but it's still hard. So it was sort of like this, uh, you know, like high of, of taking my first real vacation in several years and then, you know, immediately hit with like the stress of, um, layoffs and everything that comes along with that. Uh, but this week, um, you know, trying to kind of turn a page and I've, I've had some really good conversations with people and I've done some cool things. Having uh, Marchin on on Rocket earlier this week was honestly a delight. <laughs> and those sorts of things, like when I do things that feed me creativity, like creatively, that helps my mental health a lot, even when there are other uncertain things happening. Like if I can do things that I feel fulfilled creatively and I, I, I felt that this week um, in, in a number of ways that's really good. So I would say like, I'm in a good place, but it's, uh, it was definitely like, if we had recorded last week, that would not have been great. Like sure. I would not have been in a good place to record last week. Which is part of why we didn't record last it's week. It's part of why we didn't. You- I was going to say, I, I, not only do we not record this podcast, but I didn't record the show that I do on YouTube. And I do have some guilt about that because part of me is like, suck it up. Your job is to literally talk into the camera and to get excited and act. And I can do that. Um, huh. Even if I was in a really bad place, I could do that. The hard thing was I couldn't write the script. I was so, my, my yeah. ADHD got really out of control. And I was like, I, if somebody else had a script for me, I could show up and suck it up and do it. Right. Sure. Like I, 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 I have that ability. I know not everybody does. I have that ability. Even when things are like awful, um, I, I'm, I can be, uh, bipolar it's not bipolar it's, it's honestly I, I don't i don't i don't know if it's a i don't know if it's a good thing but i can go from like screaming at someone to then immediately like, like hi and welcome to you know like i could do that 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 turn in two seconds um if i had to but i couldn't write the script i couldn't i couldn't do it and and i couldn't get it done in time for us to record and i was just i had to just tell like my team i was just like i i can't do it you know like if if somebody had something pre-written for me 
I could have done it, but I, I just can't go through the motions of uh, like getting myself focused enough to actually write what I needed to write and research what I needed to research. You know, that I, I, think, I was not able to do. I think knowing you as an ADHD person, if if enough stress had been put on you, um, if enough pressure had been behind, like you do this or you're fired or you do this or we kidnap your mom, like you could mm -hmm. you could pull it off. Oh, uh, totally. I know you could. Totally. But oh, yeah, yeah, given given the ability to take the out. Yeah, I can see for sure why you did that. And, and and that's what you're exactly right. Um, I think back about when Mashable had layoffs, and that was like one of the worst experiences of my professional life, and will probably remain that because it was just so hard. And the following week, I had to fly to California to go to um, a, a secure an on background security briefing with Apple, and I booked my flight to the wrong co to, to to the wrong San Jose, and which I realized right before I boarded a flight to Costa Rica. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, I did not get on the plane um, and then had to fly. I was, was going to say, where's the wrong San Jose? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, the airport codes are similar, concur, messed up. They're, uh, I'll take the the L on some of it, wow. but, but it's also – it's one of my favorite stories because I did almost go to the wrong Costa Rica – go to the wrong San Jose. But you're right. And then that moment where it did feel very much like everything was at stake where I was like, if you don't – this is a very important thing you go to. We've just laid off 10% of the staff and, or more than that, 20% of the staff. And um, the money is is not great. And you're going on this trip because they've approved it and you cannot screw up. So when people were like, oh, you should have just gone to Costa Rica. And I was like, <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I transferred like three other cities and had to go on a ridiculous process to finally get there. But I did. But yeah, you're right. If, if it had been like enough stress, I could have done it. But um, fortunately, sometimes you sometimes you don't fuck around and find out. Exactly. Exactly. So that, that that's my update. All right. Well, speaking of feeling creatively fulfilled, I am not. And it is killing me. I I am I'm writing content for work and it's not like I have found things I'm excited about. Did you know that you can create a virtual box image and with the click of a button, deploy it as a compute instance on Oracle cloud? To me, that's interesting. Uh, you, you like, you can build your own local Oracle Linux box and deploy it as a cloud machine and it'll generate oh, all cool. the same processors and, and memory setup and, um, all of the command line utilities that you've installed fastidiously with their uh, with Oracle Linux's package manager and everything, and you can just push it to the cloud. And like that's interesting to me. That I can get excited about. That I have fun playing with. Right now, I'm writing a deep dive on like command line parameters for <laughs> the like flags for a command line tool because I just needed content to come out this week and. I haven't had the motivation to do any personal coding projects. And I decided my project was going to be to start watching um, Breaking Bad, alternating with Malcolm in the Middle, uh, just to try to get the Brian Cranston juxtaposition. <laughs> but it didn't work out. I ended up going all in on Breaking Bad. So I, I'm on season three because I just don't have the motivation to do anything else with my time right now. Um, I, uh, it, it was, it was an interesting experiment, uh, seeing Brian Cranston as like the, uh, 
what would you call his Malcolm in the Middle character? Befuddled? Um, yes. Quirky? Uh, <laughs> the, the comedic dad uh, versus the uh, Breaking Bad Brian Cranston was quite a, it was a trip. But anyway, I, I need, I, I, I need mania. I, I mean, we know what happens if I'm stable for too long and I have been stable and um, like I'm, my brain is starting to think like, what if I accidentally took two of my ADHD meds today? Or what if I made myself stay up all night and just kind of push that line of like uh, being okay versus being manic and just try to trigger a manic episode. And I, like, I talk myself out of it every time because I know what that leads to as well. Um, right. Which yeah, is to I say, say I, I know that that leads to sad. being very tired and, and unproductive. Like my mania doesn't get very dangerous. Like I don't, I don't gamble. I don't have crazy sex. I don't hurt anybody. Um, I, I write code, but it also means not sleeping and being very unhealthy. And anyway, anyway, that's me. So we saved Marchin for last. Uh, you can choose. You can choose to partake in the mental health corner. Uh, if there's anything you want to share, um, but you can also pass. Um, I, I want to share. I, I don't know how much of this is. Uh, the listeners don't know me, so the context might be missing. And But I already started a little bit about, you know, how um, sort of t- getting your this big personal project that was like the, the, the book has become so big that it almost became like a partner. Like, mm-hmm. like, like, like something that was accompanying my life for many years, and yeah. it still is, with its own moods and its own sort of, you <laughs> know, um, uh, conventions, and 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 so, like, at at, at no point, uh, I know whether the book is gonna be kind to me today or is it gonna be you know, cruel <laughs> and whatnot. So, uh, so it's definitely become like this strange big personal project, and in addition to the fact that I, in in many numerous ways try to do the book the my, my way, you know, kind of like sort of put something out there that's really just like me in a book form. And that obviously has challenges whenever somebody then pokes at the book when it's out there or even the website or a Kickstarter and say, I don't like it or, or I don't know about that. L- luckily, enough people seem to be liking it. And actually, it's been incredibly wonderful and 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 warm for me to see all of my friends from my prior lives and careers and just nooks and crannies of life saying like oh finally i was waiting i was like i you know we haven't talked in 10 years but i'm glad you're here but there were also moments honestly uh, where i was um frustrated because i think maybe for the first time in my life i'm a white guy so my twitter Life is very easy in general, but I think this was the first time where I got angry at people mansplaining things to me about keyboards where I was like, yes. hey, I, I, I just wrote a book about this. <laughs> I think I kind of know a lot, so you don't have to tell me things. I, and, 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 it's just, and I kind of started understanding how, how complicated that is because some of their feedback was great. And I don't want to say, like, don't tell me anything about anything. I, I want feedback. I'm a designer in my real life. And feedback is currency. Like, I want to be good. But there's some moments which is like, I kind of want to stop you right here because this is just annoying to me. So do you know who I am? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, so, so that was really, uh, I'm going to say interesting. 
mostly all positive. Um, there are people helping me out, there are people checking in with me, which is really great. But there definitely was heightened emotions. And Christina, you mentioned tech industry. I'm also part of tech industry in my real life, but I didn't even have as much time in the last weeks to think about it because the, the book um, took such a big part of my life and sort of like getting it out there and, and having a Kickstarter for your project is its own project. <laughs> it's sort of like this yes. secondary sort of sidecar project as I'm learning. Um, and the last thing I wanted to mention, I went to my first boxing class in my life and it was fun. And it turns out I like punching things. So I don't know what it says <laughs> about me. That's great. <laughs> that, was, that was a fun did, discovery. <laughs> did you also get punched? Uh, no, I was I was put next to a punching bag as, as, a, yeah. as, a, as oh, a rookie. Okay. I'm just curious so because that's, that seems part. like the other half of boxing is getting punched. That you have no, to, you kind of have to like both. Yeah, I think that's gonna come next. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But the first you, one you're was go, you're gonna was go fun. back. You're gonna keep up. I'm going back. Yeah. All right. All right. Um, I love that. So uh, now on to the keyboard corner, shall we? Um, <laughs> We we were talking before the show, before Christina got here, um, about how you are not actually like a mechanical keyboard nerd in the way that uh, kind of the community exists uh, today. Uh, people that are very worried about thwack and sizzle and and soldering and uh, and lubricating their switches and <laughs> like that's not necessarily. Uh, you, uh, so what, what is your general, what is your interest in keyboards? Yeah, I, I, I think numerous by, by this point, uh, and I have a mechanical keyboard. Um, I, I think I just need to be obsessed about keyboards in general, including their history and the sort of societal aspects and, and the software and all of that stuff. So, uh, so I, I, I think partly, you know, my role is to be an observer, but sure. I think originally, so I'm, I'm a UX designer with, with a big sort of serving of an engineer on the side. And so I think originally the keyboards were just really interesting because they're, you know, they're the interface between mm -hmm. people and computers. Um, and, and I started being curious, like who designed them Um and it turns out really nobody. <laughs> My book is actually called Shift Happens. It's kind of a joke, but it really is actually meaningful to me in the sense that keyboards just sort of happen. It was like 150 years of them happening over and over again. And there was nobody in charge. And it's this, this strange evolution of things. And the fact that um, if you look at the keyboard from 150 years ago, the first QWERTY keyboard, and you look at the keyboard you have under your fingertips right now, they're both almost the same, which is really strange. It's still QWERTY. You could you know, grab the person who invented it and put, sit them in front of your computer today. They would know what to do. But of course, they're also incredibly different. They're attached to very different devices. They serve different purposes. We, we spend much more time talking with our fingers now than writing, which is not something that happened even 20 years ago. So there was this sort of desire to or interest for me in the, all of the design aspects, like who's using them, what problems they are solving, how they evolve as an object, how the technology that was attached to the keyboards changed the nature of keyboards, et cetera, et cetera, right? Like, like, yeah. like, like, so, so all of this, and I found, um, and there are some books that talk about typewriters, 
Um, and there are definitely, you know, a lot of contemporary writing about mechanical keyboards because it's a big thing now. But there was nothing that connected all of this. Uh, and I just wanted, for a while, I wanted it to exist. And then I decided that I will make that exist, this sort of grand story of how it all happened over the last century and a half. So so you've been researching this for like six years, right? Yeah. And probably before that as well, but like actually working on the book for yeah. for six years. What is what is the strangest keyboard you ran into? Oh my <laughs> There are many strange keyboards. I um it's really actually hard to say because it, on any given week I will give you a different answer. Sure. Uh, but I have this uh the 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 recent strange one. Um, I have this uh, watch. It's a it's a Seiko watch from the 1980s, and it has what I think is the smallest keyboard ever keyboard ever made. Each key is um, like one millimeter. It's not even a key; like you're not touching it. It's it's more like a, you go left and right, and then yeah. and then you 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 know it's an what would they call what they would call an index typewriter or an index keyboard today. You know, like how you type in your Apple TV password. Yeah, or, or okay. your Xbox thing. So, sure. so, but it's so it's comical. It's so tiny. It's like the watch is not even that big because '80s watches weren't, and and uh, it's neither a key uh, really nor a board in a way. But it is kind of kind of cute that they tried to do it, and it's really <laughs> pain to use. But uh, it's kind of fun to have like the smallest keyboard. I've never I've never heard of a smaller one in my life. So that's that's yeah. the most recent strange keyboard that I learned of. And of course, it's never. I love that. And, I had a, and, and I had a calculator watch. Sorry, oh, yeah. ahead, Christina. No, 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 no. That no, that that's that would also be like a similar thing, a calculator watch. I was just gonna ask, like, what what's your favorite keyboard personally? Yeah. From any era, so, teletype, typewriter, computer, whatever. <laughs> um uh yeah, I think the one that I was maybe, you know, if you count like my amazement um as a metric, uh so for the longest time, I've heard about Selectric as being like the ultimate keyboard, right? Like there's, um, I think people of a certain age say Model M and then people a little bit older say Selectric and it's just like over and over again. And it's really interesting because I'm always suspicious of people like saying like, oh, the, they picked with the Selectric and then it all went to hell because, you know, like they don't make them like they used to is generally mm -hmm. like a, a scary attitude often. And, and maybe there's some version of gatekeeping. It's just like the bad nostalgia. So I was just like, whatever, Selectric, fine. And then I rented one for a week from, from, a, from a local typewriter store, which is a funny thing to say. And, <laughs> and uh, it was actually really amazing. I was, so first of all, it's a beautiful object, the Selectric. Like it was beautiful in the 1960s, but it's still a beautiful object today. And and then as I typed on it, I actually realized it's it's much it's much more like a computer keyboard, but there's no electronics in it. It's still electromechanical, but it made it feel so smooth. And and it has the quote unquote features that you would expect from a computer. Like you can type, you can press two keys at the same time. And mechanically, through like a very clever system of ball bearings, it would allow you to press two and it would remember the second one. Or if you press enter and the carriage still goes to the beginning, you know, it takes a while, you can press another key and it will not lose it. And there's beginnings of arrow keys there. And of course, the fonts you can swap. 
And it's, it, you know, my, my kind of mental model was it's sort of like the last movie with special effects before CGI, uh -huh. where, you know, it's a dead end, but you really yeah, appreciate how sense. much effort. And, and it's, it's, it's an incredibly complex object. Inside, it's really, it's, I think, 5,000 parts. You, you could, in the 60s, uh -huh. 70s, 80s, you could have a career of fixing Selectrics because they were both incredibly popular, but also incredibly complicated. So, so you also appreciate this like really complex object in a way that, of course, everything we do today in software is probably more complex, but you don't see it, right? You don't, you don't have a sense of how complex things are. And this one, you could open up and see like, oh my God, okay, this is not a regular typewriter. This is some next level stuff. And, and I think to me, it was just kind of amazing, right? That it, it, it was maybe like the last impressive typewriter you could relate to because you know, the, the electronic typewriters, the iPhone keyboard, all of the machine learning today, it's, it's just there, right? It's just there in a cloud doing its own thing. Um, and any mechanical keyboard today is actually incredibly simple, right? It's, it's just mm -hmm. like the same switch over and over again. Yep. There was something about this like built device and, and it really felt wonderful under your fingertips. I was like, okay, I see how people remember this. I see how people try for it. And the funny thing is that the last thing maybe I wanted to mention, um, and people kind of forget this, the people love the Selectric so much. By the way, you can blame Selectric for the caps lock key being in the place it is today, which every wow. programmer hates. Yeah. Um, programmer lost that battle in the early 80s. <laughs> there was a literal <laughs> battle. Um, people who use Selectric were just like, no, this has to be like Selectric. So they moved it back. But... Uh, People loved it so much that IBM like forever tried to recreate that feeling. So first there were beam spring keyboards. There were the you know 70s kind of term, really expensive terminal keyboards. And then there was the Model F, which was a cheaper version of a beam spring. And then there was the Model M, which was a cheaper version of the Model F. <laughs> so it's funny because the Model M, which people today say it's one of the most wonderful keyboards, right? It's the king of click, it's the God's own keyboard. It's like the fourth watered-down version of the selection, <laughs> uh, which, you know, just tells you how funny, how funny it is, how history works, right? Like, okay. Yeah. So do you think it's a, a feature or a bug that the complexity is hidden now? Um, well, the complexity, by and large, has moved into the realm of software. Like you said, like a mechanical keyboard today is just, yeah. it's a bunch of switches on a board. Um, yeah. And and most people using a computer have no idea how complex the yeah. software they're using is. But is that is that good or is that bad? I think it's well, you know, it depends if the software is good itself. I sure. Like, you know, if I see a bad bad web app, I kind of want to fix it. Sure. <laughs> it's not it's not really possible with the exception of maybe you know overriding CSS and stuff uh -huh. like that. Um, I, 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 if, it's go, if it works well, it might be okay, but I think there is something, I think what we lost and to some extent is you can just like peek under the hood of software as easily as maybe yeah. you used to. And also, I don't think we ever figure out how to make software exciting for people who don't care. Like in a way you can sort of, you know, again, open the hood of your car, well, not today, but <laughs> 20, 30 years ago, and, or, or, you know, or just like get, get a packet of Lego and kind of like appreciate the, the bits and pieces and the whole result. I, uh, I think, you know, view source was the last maybe example of that. And there are, you know, modern versions of view source, of course there's, um, but, but 
software is, is like can be so beautiful and not even like well-written software like software bugs can be beautiful and fascinating but I, I, I'm, I'm I'm still waiting for like or maybe waiting for more like storytellers in that space because I, I think there's so much more we could do to to just get people excited and understanding you know maybe I just really remember one of the foundational works of art for me was The Soul of the New Machine, the book mm. from, I think, early 80s. And it was, yes. you know... Such a great was, book. Yeah, it was the book about... Ostensibly, it's the same way, uh, like my favorite movie, Sneakers, is ostensibly about technology, but it's just really about people and emotions. And, and, and The Soul of the New Machine, the book was about, like, how is it to create a computer and how it is to sort of negotiate with all its feelings of having this sort of creative pursuit, but in this really strange space. And, and I think I, 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 I'm, I'm just hoping we see more of those kind of stories uh, told because I think we lost some of that sort of wonder of software. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I think you're exactly right. I, it was funny right before the reason I was late to record this podcast, not that the audience cares, but I'll, I'll share anyway, is I was recording um, another podcast and I was talking about, um, it's called The Last Detail, and I was talking about um, Manitas Claire's. And it was, 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 because it's a podcast where you like focus on like hyper-focus on like one particular object. And I kind of didn't really follow the script because we were talking less about the specific object, which was interesting and I loved, but, but more about like mini discs themselves. And a lot of that was kind of the personality and kind of the, the weirdness and the, like the care that went into that, which, which we don't have today. Right. Like, like the consideration and, you know, cause and I, I, I almost wonder if that's part of the reason why there has been that such a resurgence in in the keyboard community is that we've all mm-hmm. just kind of become bored with the status quo. And there is something about being able to really customize and really be yeah. particular about what you're doing, even if it's not to, to, to the level of of like the the soul of the new machine or like what what um, was happening with like the selecta and 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 uh, like typewriters. But there is still this thing which is like okay things have kind of become soulless and a way of injecting humanity and personality and and whimsy into our, our computing is by obsessing over thock and, and keycaps and switches (laughs) and, and, and weight, you know, and, and, and all that stuff. And, and I, I wonder if that's maybe part of it is that we're all like seeking that bit of humanity that, that is felt like it's been lost a little bit, but which was a core part of why, computing exploded to begin with because if you hadn't had that human aspect just like Mm -hmm. you know sneakers like i don't know if it would have taken off right because there are so many technological things that don't have that kind of through line but you could see it in the early computers i mean especially with apple machines but even with the ibm pc like you could see the humanity you could see you could it was is kind of a it was like more than just an object, you know? So I, I just got to interject that like Martin brought up looking under the hood of a car. Yeah. Um, which well, like it, my dad in high school, like he bought parts from a junkyard and built his own first car. Like you can't yeah. do that now. Like we are exactly. separated. We have separate, yeah. like a, a car used to be a thing. Any, anyone with the motivation could take their car apart and see how mm-hmm. it works. 
And yeah. like we're separated from that now. And I do think it removes a certain amount of humanity from the machine. I think yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah, my, 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 it's funny that you mentioned your dad. Like uh, my dad's job uh, when I was a kid was perfect for me because he was uh, an arcade game and pinball repairman. Nice. So he would be sent to all of the arcades. Oh, wow. And and you know I still remember uh, for people who remember pinballs like um, or if you have a pinball nearby, uh, which I think a lot of people do still. You just maybe have to find it, but there are all of these they're modern arcades. Uh, ask them to open it up for you and you know they can remove the glass and take the whole play field and move it up and you can see under the play field at all of the solenoids and switches and stuff and, and light bulbs and and to me seeing that was like a revelation because it was it, it, you know it's sort of like view source for a pinball but you know you can like stick your finger there you actually probably don't want to stick your finger there. You stick, <laughs> stick a pen. <laughs> Those solenoids can actually hurt you. But uh, speaking from experience, but you know, you can sort of like see how it's made, and you can see like some logic choices that they made, or some cost-cutting choices, or some you know algorithm choices. And uh, there's some debugging modes in software for all these pinballs from the '80s and and onward. And it, and it's just this wonderful thing where you realize like, oh, even play has to be designed. And even play has to be considered and, and, and even play has to succumb to like boring logic and how do you sort of creatively use that logic. And so, uh, yeah, I, I think, Christina, you're also right that it's like, I, I think keyboards probably resonate along the same lines. Like you just, just solely, maybe you can open them. And you can like grab a keycap and remove it and grab a switch and remove it or open a switch. Yeah. There's like multiple layers of discovery there. If you're interested, you can get this, go even deeper and solder it. If you're interested on a different level, you can like change the software to do some things, right? You can, you can be the next Dvorak. You probably also fail, but you, <laughs> you, will have, you will have your layout and you can use it and maybe convince a few people to use it as well. Or, or do something completely random, like my, one of the people that uh, that I interviewed for the book just, you know, made a keyboard uh, with this unique layout made out of wood uh, because yes. there were no keyboards made out of wood before. Um, and 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 that's kind of interesting. And 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 you can start very simply as well, right? You can just grab one keycap or or buy like one extra keyboard and see how it makes you feel. Or or or. Um, I don't know, just like add one keyboard maestro, you know, combination to keyboard maestro and, and, and feel just kind of like a little bit more excited about it. Oh, are we going to talk about keyboard maestro? Well, we no, could. We I was going to say you, um, you just spoke uh, Brett's language because, because that's like, um, yeah. Speaking of bizarre keyboard layouts, though, uh, <laughs> someone, someone in our Discord, and I've forgotten who and I've forgotten what it's called, but there was a keyboard layout that started with T-H-E. Um, and the keyboard layout was based on like the most common letter combinations when writing in English. And it was like, I took a look at the keyboard. I, I knew that my brain was never going to grok like this entirely different. And I've tried Dvorak. Like, yeah, I, 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 I was, I grew up, I grew up in the eighties. Like I, I typed on QWERTY keyboards and it's how my brain I think is ever going to be able to take in as far as touch typing goes without having to like look at the keyboard all the time. Uh, the idea of like smarter keyboard layouts, uh, it's kind of fascinating. It's, it's like you said, QWERTY been around for like 150 years. And even though it's not the smartest layout, 
everyone yeah. can agree it's not the the most intelligent organization of the keys <laughs> it still has it is one diamond again i see i'm gonna like uh, i'm always fascinated by people kind of um hating on qwerty because um yes they probably like i i would say there could be smarter layouts um but i also wonder like using dvorak as an example right so august dvorak came up with this thing in i think the 30s 1930s 1940s which is funny because it seems like eons ago but it, this was like 60 70 years after the keyboard um, sure. was invented right so 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 uh, you know time uh, history compresses events but you know so qwerty was has been around for a while and he he didn't mean words, right? He he called QWERTY the primitive torture board. He wrote the whole <laughs> book it was called Typewriting Behavior, saying basically the premise of the book was QWERTY sucks. <laughs> what are you doing here, right? And he had this whole math and really an amazing set of considerations uh, for how fingers travel on the keyboard and where the letters should be and how people make mistakes and even just like the psychology of typing. There's this whole chapter about like laziness <laughs> of all things. And, and so really strange and amazing book. And I would recommend reading it for people who are interested. Um, and then he had this layout and kind of nothing happened because I think Dvorak kind of forgot that like, well, you, you, the, this quote unquote smartest layout, it only takes you so far. Like you still have yeah. to, you still have to, on one hand, you have to market it, you have to build it, you have to convince people, you know, you're working against motor memory of generations at this point. But then, like, I think what he also ignored is that, like, well, wh what, if the, what if the premise is wrong and what if QWERTY is actually good or at least good enough? <laughs> like, what if the fact that it's been used for 60 years is, like, not an accident? Like, people like to believe that it's just... Right. Like, it's one time where market chose poorly, right? It's like it's, we chose VHS against Betamax, right? Sure. And, which actually also has been debunked. VHS <laughs> is supposedly actually really good. But um, but the funny thing is that like even in the 70 years that he's seen keyboards, keyboards change. Like we progressively see fewer and fewer people professionally typing. The keyboards become, quote-unquote, more and more ergonomic every five years, even if you don't buy a, quote-unquote, ergonomic keyboard. A keyboard is just softer on our fingers and better. And, and QWERTY was okay. It was actually intentional from, from what we can tell. It wasn't like an accident. It wasn't there to slow people down. It was actually very thoughtful. Um, and, it's, and it's only gotten better because the way we use keyboards and the keyboards themselves have gotten better. So in a way, you know, Maybe for some people, yes. Some people have problems with their shoulders, with their arms, with their uh, wrists. Um, there's a lot of people who would benefit from an improvement over like a $10 Dell quality keyboard. But for a vast majority of people, I, I'm going to say it's probably good. <laughs> you don't have to worry. And particularly even touch typing. I think we've seen studies that say like touch typing may be kind of overrated too. Like you don't have to touch that perfectly to be okay, um, and so that's kind of interesting. Like I, 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 I'm actually, I, I've become a fan of QWERTY through writing this book, was, which, which well, I, I didn't expect. Was there an industry that cemented QWERTY as like the keyboard? Like in the in the VHS yeah. Beta Wars, it was really the porn, porn industry that yeah. that made VHS win. At the time that QWERTY kind of became popular, was there an industry? that that made it the forefront 
Yeah, so, so what's really interesting about uh, QWERTY is that it was the first one. I mean, obviously, there were typewriters before the QWERTY typewriter, mm -hmm. um, but most of them were not mass-produced. Uh, most of them didn't really go very far. They, you know, they, you couldn't actually use them well or they didn't print well. And QWERTY just happened to be the first or, or the first big commercial layout and and so it it always faced competition from day one, and it always somehow managed to um, to to win. And I think the first use cases for QWERTY were QWERTY actually invented bureaucracy. QWERTY and elevators, right? they, they they invented offices and bureaucracy. So that's kind sure. of like a funny thing to think about. Uh, but also, uh, you know, I think it was so it was like early early typing for offices, but it was also transcribing Morse communication. And we know that like the person who invented the, the early typewriter, um, the query typewriter, he cared about that. So he was pretty smart about like knowing what the use cases are and knowing what's the minimum speed, which was maybe 30 to 40 uh, words per minute, um, should be achievable. And like, you know, like many good inventors, they mostly focus, or he and, and his team mostly focus on picking the right battles. Right, so the first typewriter didn't have uppercase, sorry, lowercase, because eh, maybe not as important. That only came like, you know, within the next decade. But you know, the print looked good, and you could get a certain speed, and it wasn't jamming, right? So, so the, the whole QWERTY was designed not to slow people down. It was the opposite to to make it both um, fast to type and to make it easier to for the machine to actually work. Right, so this interesting concept of like human considerations, but also machine considerations. Huh. Oh, so like, uh, like it's, is it designed around the idea of like the hammers and the typewriter, like not coming from the same two points yeah. at the same time? Yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah. And it's funny because, and it was very specific to the, to the way the first typewriters were made, which actually became obsolete 10 years. So within 10 years, QWERTY was solving a problem that didn't, didn't need solving exist. anymore. Sure. Yeah. Uh, that's why, that's why it's really hard to even compare QWERTY and Dvorak because they didn't exist in the same time span. Sure. Right. They were there okay. to solve very different problems. Yeah. That, um, which is very interesting. And, and so, but but yet QWERTY is endured, which which I also think is interesting, right? Yeah. And 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 I wonder if it's because sometimes I do wonder if it's because like Dvorak maybe was trying to solve the wrong problem, like yeah. like it's claiming that it's going to be easier, more efficient, and and whatnot. But but if it but if that's maybe not what maybe maybe not really a problem, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like like if that's okay, you, I, you you can make more efficient layouts, but but that QWERTY works well enough, even though the reason yeah. for its genesis doesn't exist anymore. The, the, there's, uh, there's this wonderful book by Arika Okrand called In the Land of Invented Languages that talks about people who, you know, created Esperanto or Loglan, is it called? Or even Klingon. Klingon had mm -hmm. more commercial roots, I suppose. And, and, and there's this interesting notion that uh, it's actually like a surprisingly warm and sort of sad book because it speaks about most of these people just wanted to fix the world. Like they said, I don't like the messiness of languages today. I don't. I, I would like them to work a certain way or I would like them to reflect the universe a certain way. Um, but it all came with this sort of naivete of like, oh, if I only solve this thing, people will understand it. And that's not like the language is being messy. It's actually the beauty of languages. 
And every language gets messy. Like even Esperanto has shortcuts right now and all of these things because that's how people use languages. So I think Dvorak's, like there was a certain naivete that if I only prove you mathematically that my keyboard is better, um, you will use it. Um, um, and th there's also this other thing, of course, uh, the dark side of QWERTY is that Remington, which was the first you know, big typewriter company, they also had a good legal team and a good sales team and a good promotion team and, and a, lot of, a lot of the success of QWERTY. And, and unfortunately, we cannot decouple them. Right? We're not, we cannot say like this was 40% engineering and 30% whatever, but they had a really good ideas of how to sell the typewriters and that probably didn't hurt. And maybe if they sucked at it, maybe they would have, maybe another layout from 1870s or 1880s would have actually absorbed QWERTY. Uh, and they were also really good at um, sending their keyboards abroad, uh, which, uh, which explains why QWERTY is so close to QWERTY or A30 is so close to QWERTY because it was all done by the same guy who actually didn't even speak any of those languages. Sure. But but you know they would they just move the keys enough just again so their keyboards wouldn't clash you know in the same way they had to solve it for query for english i uh christina just just fyi your video has frozen for me but okay. in like a a perfect pose like you look you look curious and intrigued <laughs> um and like it's a nice like semi profile you look great uh, okay you I, you, I just, you should take it you you should take a screenshot of that um, Ed, because okay. I'm going to turn it. I'm going to turn it off and turn it on again and see if that fixes it. But take a screenshot first because I want to see how ridiculous I look. Done. You don't look ridiculous. You look fan fucking tastic. Yeah, I don't um, believe you. Am I back to you now? <laughs> no, no. It, it it went off and you came back looking exactly as good. Um, <laughs> oh wow. That so is bizarre. For the record, I see Christina moving. So okay, um, it's, just it's, it's, it's just me. It's just you. <laughs> um, so speaking of arcade games, oh, there, Christina, I can see you moving now. Um, uh, you guys, you guys both have the play date, which has come up on our show before. Um, yeah, I, I am outside of this. Uh, I, I, I observed the release of the play date and have not heard much about it since. So I'm curious to hear you guys talk a little bit about your playdates. Yeah. Uh, Martian, would you like to start? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm a, where do I start? I think, you know, I'm a big fan of Panic uh, and have been just, uh, even outside of like specific things that they do, just the way they do things. Yeah. Um, you know, sort of like creators before creations. Same, um, same. But, yeah, but what's really interesting for me, and, and I think that actually came up with the book as well, and, and, and a lot of other sort of, I've always been into computing history. Um, and there's this idea of, like, how do you approach nostalgia? Um, because there are good ways and bad ways, right? Like, nostalgia is supposed to kind of help you, and, and it, it, it's there to, to soften our lives in general. But, you know, you can sort of weaponize it, um, as, as we've seen in some presidential elections, and you can you can also sort of succumb to nostalgia and be like, well, you know, the only arcade games were in the '80s, and nothing after that matters. And if you like them, you, you're stupid, um, or something like this. And I think what I really like about Playdate, sort of conceptually, is how they try to negotiate with nostalgia, because it's not just like we're just gonna rewind the clock 25 years and build this device. It's actually, well, we're just gonna look at the past and see maybe maybe some of the simplicity that used to be 
coming from the limited technology and then, you know, as the technology progressed, went away, maybe that simplicity was still worth it outside of, you know, maybe they were just coupled together and maybe... Maybe there's something nice about like a simple control scheme or a black and white thing. There's something that could help with creativity. There may be something that could help people relate to the sort of beauty and quirkiness or maybe something that would attract strange creators, which I think played it really well, which is just like a lot of those games, sometimes it's hard even to call them games. They're just strange and quirky and weird. And they would just be like, how do we build a device that sort of optimizes for weirdness? And I think so. So I, I think I'm in awe of the process of Playdate coming together, maybe more so than the Playdate itself, which is a beautiful object falling yes. in my head right now. But it's just like the, the way the way they talked about what it means to them, and 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 some of the design decisions, and some of the some of the choices they made. It's just a vision of a device that doesn't belong in any particular era. It just sort of picks from different moments in time. And I think that's something wonderful that as, as computers get older, we should all be doing very carefully of sort of picking like, like I have a keyboard with modern keyboard, but the keycaps are from the 70s because I think that's my responsibility to do stuff like that. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. Um, I, um, like you, I love Panic and, and I've been a fan of their aesthetic for so, so, such a long time. Like I still have, they sold, God, this was so many years ago, but they sold um, like Atari style um, game boxes for their software products that you could oh, just like yeah. buy. And so it was like, like Transmit and Candy Bar and um, yeah, I think they I had one, like Audion. Yeah. And so, and I have them somewhere and they were just so fun. And, 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 and I was not alive during any of the Atari's run. Like I'm, I'm a Nintendo generation kid, but I love the aesthetic anyway. And so um, it, I've always loved their whimsy, you know, when they had their, uh, what was the app that they had um, in the app store uh, kind of based on their dashboard that the iOS really unfortunately yeah. wasn't, wasn't uh, prepared to do what it, it called could dashboard. Do. Something like no. that. Uh, um, but, yeah. but, but that was based on, you know, the, the custom um, like, a dashboard that they'd created at at their office that would show you know yeah like I remember what, that. What, what commute times were and 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 what people's progress was on certain things it was it was great um I love all their experiments I love their design philosophy status I love board the, sorry status board there you yes, go status yes, board. yes. I, I love their whimsy I love their design decisions I love their blogs I love you know uh cables like obsession with you know like uh weird snack foods you know I'm just I'm just a fan of panic yeah. and 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 I and I I've met you know um <laughs> the the team a number of times and 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 uh, over the years, like, uh, you know, been to their offices, like, uh, you know, I can, I feel like I can call them internet friends of mine. Um, I think nice. the first time I ever met Cable uh, and Steven, like I, it was like meeting superstars to me. Like, I think I was more excited by that yeah. than like actual celebrities that I've met and interviewed, if I'm being totally honest. So like you, like the, the process of the device is almost as I definitely mattered way more. Like I haven't played my play date much since I got it. Yeah. I got all the games and I've used it and I have played with the SDK, which is really cool. But when I yeah. first used a play date at XOXO 2019, I guess it was, I think it was the last XO. Um, there's a photo that someone took of me using it and, and I, I, um, you know, tweeted, I was like, this is what pure joy looks like. And, and you just see this huge <laughs> smile on my face as I'm yeah. interacting with, with the crank. And, and I love teenage engineering who obviously had a, a yeah. huge, you know, a, a, a amount uh, to, to do with it. And so, yeah, I think that it, kind of going back to a thread we've had here is sort of the humanity and, and the personality 
and the thoughtfulness that went into the whole thing. And also, I really appreciated, and I still appreciate, that it is not a device for everyone. And they're not trying to make it for yeah, everyone. Yeah. I love yeah. that. Like, I love that because there were so, so many people who were telling me online and and because I would talk about a podcast or saying in person, like, why would you ever buy that? This is this is so dumb. It's going to be sitting in a drawer somewhere. I was like, yeah, probably. But this is yeah. the perfect device for someone like like us, you know, which are like, older millennials or Gen Xers who have disposable income and have like a love of like weird nostalgia yeah. kind of driven devices. But also, frankly, the crank is a really, really good um, oh, interface. It's, nice. it's, it's a really, really good interface for, for controlling the games. Like it's actually really interesting. And, and, and I, and I think about that a lot, like you're a designer, I'm not a designer, but I'm a design appreciator. Brett is, 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 <laughs> um, is a designer, but I'm, I'm somebody who loves, like, I wish I could, I wish I had the artistic abilities cause I, I love design and yeah. art so much. And, and I think about like the, the thought process that goes into that and like thinking about, okay, how can we make this crank more than just a gimmick and actually now, how are you going to build a game that is going to use that as, um, you know, a, a, a UX mechanism, but also as like a mechanical, you know, control of, of, of getting through, you know, the game. Like, I think that's so fascinating. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, 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 I'm glad to use the word joyful. Like it, it definitely like awakened a lot of like joy in me and, and, but also just sort of this, it, it reminds it reminded me of like oh like there's a lot of places that still deserve creativity like we're not done with any of these things right like right. like this 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 is a unique thing in a space that's filled with things like this already right and 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 it posits that like maybe in every space that's already filled with things there's still room for other things that are unique and 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 i also like that yeah the crank is like i've always believed like there's nothing wrong with a good gimmick you just have to like you know, like you just have to run with it and use it well. And I think people love gimmicks. It's like it, it, there's nothing wrong with like using the word gimmick because they actually like elevated it, right? And and it's funny. Oh my god! You, when you started talking about panning, I was just immediately like, remember the thing where they 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 had this app where you can control their their sign on their building, yes, the, the color of the sign or uh, Buggy Saints Row the musical. That, that from it must have been twenty years ago or fifty years ago, like Cable just like made this musical about the bug yes. the game Saints Row, yes. and so I, I just you know in, in part of like loving Playdate is just like I just want to support creators that do things like this and that 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 bring this joy to other people and and who remind us that like yeah we can we can like there's so much more room for creativity everywhere. Uh, and even in, as you said, like places where some people might scoff and say like, well, this is not going to be the next DS, you know, or the next Switch or whatever. It's like, it doesn't want to be, you know, like they weren't yeah. trying to do that. They were wanting to build something cool for them. I think they were a little bit taken aback. Um, I mean, they've written as much, but I think even talking to them um, when, I, when I was playing with the prototype and talking to some of the team members who worked on it, like I think that they were taken aback by the initial interest and, and obviously, mm. you know, like uh, how many people wanted to order and how they had to, you know, which created a bunch of logistical problems, which 2020 didn't help with. But even oh, without that, like, that yeah. but even without that, I think that they would have suffered a, a little bit just because like this was supposed to be kind of like a small batch thing that did have wider appeal. Yeah. And, and but, but that's and, an interesting and, thing, too, I think kind of relates to keyboards a little bit, which is you have this thing that is maybe specific specified at a niche, right? 
and then it becomes more broadly adopted and then the expectations change. Yeah. And, but, but what you were doing, like your initial intent doesn't. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's both keyboards or even, um, we were talking earlier about my Kickstarter and, you know, mm-hmm. once, once I, I, and I imagine it's pretty universal, but like, I, I imagine like once your Kickstarter gets like to a certain level, you start seeing all of this spam. Hey, we can give you like 10,000 more people, probably not 10,000, but like, you know, a thousand more people or 500 more people looking at this. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to, you know, like right. I, I, at some point I, I don't want, like, I don't want to lose this sort of strangeness of this thing I'm creating uh, or this, uh, you know, this, 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 I don't want to soften the quirkiness necessarily. Right. Or I don't want, right. I, I don't want to, I, I don't want mass appeal because I think that's covered. Like there are industries that do that really well. I, 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 I want to rather find somebody like I want to find everybody who would love this thing that I created rather than more people who might like never care for it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of curious about that, like to talk maybe a little bit more about it. I know we're getting close on time, but I just wanted to kind of know more about like your experience with the Kickstarter. Cause I, I have to imagine it's similar with the play date. Like you were hoping it would be successful. Now is, yeah. is it still the third most, um, um, uh, backed book or is it the second most at this point? It's gonna. It's close to being like the second most funded non-fiction book mm-hmm. in Kickstarter's history. Which, as I say those words, I don't even know what they mean to me. <laughs> right. No, but 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 that that has to feel incredible. But that also has to feel like again. I, I wonder, like you've put all this time into this. Yeah. You built it with a certain thing at the beginning. You were even talking about how like you get people who were you know, kind of mansp- trying to mansplain keyboards to you, which is what's going to happen when something gets out of the bubble yeah, that you created yeah. in and goes more broad. Um, but, but, but I wonder, like, I guess, I guess it's like how, how you're kind of like dealing with that because I appreciate that you're still trying to keep it what it is. I've covered over the years, especially when I was a journalist, so many failed yeah. Kickstarter campaigns where people couldn't fulfill what happened because it blew yeah. up and it was way more successful than they expected. And then they add on these goals and they're like, oh, well, now we're going to do this and this and this and this. Yeah. And and then and it and it takes away from, you know, because people in the process get excited about what the possibility of this thing could be rather than what the inventor's intent yeah. was. And and I and I wonder, I guess, about like how how, how do you balance that? Like, you know, staying, yeah. I guess, kind of true to what your book is because at this point, in addition to having spammers coming at you and like, we can get you this much more. I would also imagine like, ha- have you had uh, more traditional publishers come at you? Because I would think that, that you would, right. Like I would think that they would be like, Hey, maybe it won't be yeah. it the same way that you're doing it, but this clearly has an audience. Do you want, you know, partner? And, and I'm just curious, like how, how you balance keeping what it is yeah. while at the same time you've got this runaway success. Yeah, so I, I think what was important for me and what I spend a lot of time is thinking about like what do I want this book to be to a point that I actually have it written down. Like many years ago, I was like, here are my goals for the book. And at no point, you know, there's a, there was a certain like number of people that I wanted to have this book, which the campaign now succeeded. And, and that was the numeric goal. Um, and of course, like I didn't want to lose money on the book because that opens like, the whole right. universe of travel. Um but other than that, I just had like, you know, I want to be proud of how the book feels. Like I want to do justice to the people who I'm interviewing. I want not to lose the quirkiness. And so um, 
there, there were a bunch of those kind of things that I kept looking at over and over again and talking to people. And even the whole process of, I originally wanted this book to be traditionally published because that's kind of how I grew up. And, and, right. and, and what felt like, quote unquote, the right way to do it. And, mm-hmm. and it took me like a year to, via conversations with many, many people to realize I actually don't want to self-publish. Sorry, I don't want to, I want to self-publish this and it's not going to be me being a loser if I do that. <laughs> like self-publishing is like a much more interesting space right now. And, 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 and so I, I think I just had a lot of time to think about what I want this and the sort of quote-unquote success criteria and whatnot. And that was really helpful in hopefully not losing the, that right now, not sort of chasing the ball of like, oh, what if I was the number one? Kickstarter book of all time, which well, that's actually not possible. It's like incredible. It's the, the val- number is just wild, but it's like forty six million dollars, right? It's just like oh my it's god, just like oh, it's it's it's, really it's not going to happen, right? Totally. Yeah. yeah, but but you know the sort of yeah exactly like chasing this sort of like a, a, a certain deal with a publisher says like oh what if what if this is a you know a, 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 an airport bookstore kind of a book. I was like, no, 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 it's not. Like, maybe there is. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe I won't get tired with keyboards, and I will actually write another one. It's a very different audience and a very totally. different process, which could be interesting. But, but it, so I think for me it was just just trying uh, to think and be honest with myself and write down the goals for this project for me, um, and then not lose track of of. And and I'm I'm lucky enough to be surrounded by people who are helping me with this project, like my editor, um, who also get it who also understand what I'm after and who, who are helping me sort of, you know, navigate those spaces. Um, and, and I think, and, and giving me candid feedback sometimes, you know, hey, you, you may be getting distracted here or, uh, or vice versa saying like, you know what, like for the next marketing thing, just do kind of what you want to do. Like do, do something that you, you enjoy rather than, you know, something that you have to do. So, so navigating that, uh, that's that's been like really important to me. All right, I think that's great. Should we uh, should we do a rapid fire gratitude before we close out? Yeah, I would love that. Do you have one ready, Christina, or do you want to wait do. while we go? Okay, yeah, Christina, you get to you get to kick it off, just like the mental health corner. Okay, so my pick is an app called Sloth. And this is one that I actually, it's been around for a while, but I just discovered it on Hacker News yesterday. And it is um, basically a Mac app that shows you a GUI to show you all the open ports and data things that are happening on your system. So it's really interesting. Um, And this is something Mm -hmm. that I don't think that I would probably use very often, but I'm playing with it. And it's interesting just to see, like, I guess, if you're trying to to figure out like, because it shows you like all the open files, directories, sockets, the pipes that are that are in use, and, and then the, the the running processes. So it's basically just a GUI for um, uh, is off, um, or, or I, I, or maybe it's LS off. I don't know. I, I don't know the Unix command because I've never used this command LS off. Yeah. I've never used this command. And so, um, but, but it's, it's in like a usable way. And I saw this on Hacker News yesterday that a new version was released. It's available for both, um, Apple Silicon and, um, uh, Intel. And I was like, oh, this is actually a really interesting way to like, look at all the different things that are happening on my Mac at one time. And I could see this as actually being really useful for figuring out like if something is broken or, or what it's doing. And also, you know, maybe like 
when apps are spying on you. Um, although um, little uh, little snitch would be uh, uh, would, would be way better than that. But um, I don't know. It, it doesn't have the best design or anything. Uh, it's it's a pure utility app. But I saw this and I I've only played with it a little bit and I really like it. And I'm I'm like not mad at it. It also goes all the way back to Mac OS 10.8. So like <laughs> I, 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 I did see that. this come up on Hacker News. Um, the, it's from, uh, I don't know how to say Svein Bjorn, um, Bjorn Svein, uh, the same guy who made platypus, the, oh, the, yeah. the Mac app that can turn a shell script into a, an application bundle. Um, mm-hmm. simple idea, very yes. handy tool, uh, which I've back, used before. Like, I yes. started, yeah, I've used platypus for, oh Jesus, 20 years, 15 years. Um, yeah, that's old school. So it's, I, I, I went to his software page. He has a whole bunch of apps I've never used, but Sloth is Sloth is the second one on his software page. So yeah, that looks cool. Uh, he, he describes it as basically a friendly exploratory GUI for LSOF. Which all the developers will know what that means and everyone else will be like, what? <laughs> Well, and I and I, I'm a developer, and I've never used it. Like you know, but I'm not like a hardcore or anything. But like I literally, I don't think I've ever used I, that. I have used LSOF in when I've had questions about. <laughs> I don't even remember what the last time it came up was. I've never voluntarily used LSOF, but I have been instructed to, in the process <laughs> of solving other problems run LSOF to determine what port something was using or what was using, what was accessing a port or a file or a socket. And yeah, like it's not, it's not a regular part of my repertoire. I could definitely use a GUI. So that's awesome. Um, do you, do you want to go next Martin? Sure. Um, my choice is, um, ivory. Uh, I like like many people. I I, I think I, I found Mastodon to be a great alternative to to you know the the artist formerly known as Twitter, and uh, and Ivory is I think the first app for Mastodon that I actually really enjoy using. I I struggle with some of the other ones. Um, I'm a designer. Maybe I just need something that's a little bit more polished. That's a little bit more aesthetically pleasing or. Um, and, and, and Ivory is, is the first app that I was just like, oh, this is, uh, you know, this is like a great alternative to, uh, um, to all the other ones. But also I, I really like, because it's sort of similar to, to what we talked about, uh, with Playdate, which is, it's kind of quirky. It's a little weird. It has personality. Uh, uh, it's, it, it's made some choices that I, as a designer wouldn't maybe make, but, and maybe some I actually disagree with, but also they're like really interesting choices, and it's really fun. It you know it's it 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 again sort of made me feel like oh we're not done with those things. You know, there's some some creative choices we could make here, or some some weird stuff. Not just like in in a space of like a social media you know consumption app, but just apps in general. Like like for example, I forgot how long it's been since the app allowed me to choose like an accent color, which I immediately. Orange, it's gonna be orange. Oh, I can change the icon to be orange too. It's so simple, but I think like you know, iOS and macOS sort of locked a lot of this down because you know design. And and I'm speaking as a designer, I, I do that too. Um, but you know, just just the little moments of customization just made me so excited 
to, you know, it's like the, it's the only, let me see, yeah, it's the only yellow icon I have on my home screen, which is like a funny thing to say, but my home screen is very, very grateful for that. So I don't know, Ivory. And it's done by Tapbots, right? Yeah. Same yep. people who made one of our favorite apps, Tweetbot. Um, wow. And we talked about it on a recent show. They they have a a rest in peace page for Tweetbot with, uh, with an elephant looking at it, uh, which is a reference to ivory which is now out for uh it's in beta uh i did i did i have it through test flight i haven't actually i'm loading it up right now just to see what's up but um yeah i'm a huge fan of tweetbot i have a i have a lot of faith that i'm gonna love ivory yeah, yeah. the funny thing yeah is I've... I've never used tweetbot so i like oh, maybe that's so I've funny. Been missing out maybe i've been missing out for like 15 years <laughs> but you know maybe better late than ever Totally, totally. Yeah, no, I've been I've been using it since um, uh, I missed out on the beta for iOS, but um, uh, Paul was nice enough to invite me into the the Mac beta early, and um, then they just recently changed um, uh, that test flight. Uh, they separated the two, and so um, I'm I'm back in that one as well. And it's really good. It's really really good. Um, I uh, it's for me, and I've, I've talked about this I think before, like what's totally changed my Mastodon experience has been getting good apps and, and ivory is definitely yeah. one of them. One of the fun things is also for the iOS app. And, uh, this I think is really, really cute is that you can customize the icon. And one of the icons is basically the RIP Tweetbot icon. So if you wanted the app icon to look, you know, like, a like, like still, still have kind of the, the, the tweet bot with the halo on it. Like that's, that's one of their options, which I think is really <laughs> cute. Um, Nice. But, but 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 it's to me I don't know it's just amazing how much of a difference good tools make for this for this platform. I still have some issues yeah. with Mastodon, but it it for me like it's just a completely different experience um having things like elk.zone and ice cubes and um uh, ivory being I think the most polished just like has fundamentally changed my experience with the service whereas the the apps that existed before um that and in the main website like I'm not trying to criticize people who are putting labor love into things, but just it's not there, you know, it's just it's not the sort of thing that I can come back to, especially for people like us who really respect the the thoughtful design yeah. of things. Yeah, it, it reminds me a little bit, and this is at the risk of maybe angering a lot of people, but there was this recent debate, I think Gruber wrote about um, um, Android and iOS sort of the yes. quality of design. And there's something mm -hmm. about it that I think the, the conversation, and there were more people adding to that conversation. I think they captured something. It's like, yeah, there's, there's intangible things that matter. And, and it's hard sometimes to understand for people who don't understand design or never maybe talk to a designer. But those add up. And, and like, this is exactly right, Christina. For me, I've already like crossed the threshold, which is just like, oh, this is enjoyable. This, this wasn't optional. The, 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 there needs to be a certain level of care and attention, polish and, and quality to apps. And maybe we all calibrate it differently. But for me, Ivory crossed the threshold and I started just feeling like, oh, the Mastodon experience is really fun. I, I thought I thought it couldn't be, but it was really the app and nothing I have, else. I have finally hit like a, a critical mass with my Mastodon follower versus following and and am getting... Uh, an amount of feedback to a toot that makes it 
feel interactive instead of just shouting into a void. Um, and it feels like there's a community there and my following on Mastodon is way smaller than my one on Twitter. Uh, but they are as interactive and I have enjoyed it. Exactly. I use toot on iOS. It's just toot with an exclamation point. Um, it's been pretty good. I would love to get on the ivory iOS beta, but I did not catch that one. Um, uh, DM, DM Paul and, um, and see, cause I'm sure that it, they have people who go in and off of the, of the things. It's also available to buy now. So you can just like, you know, oh, buy is it? it. I'll yeah. buy it. I'll just, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's it. in the That's app store. It's, a, it's in the app store. The, the Mac version is not in the app store yet. It's in alpha. Yeah. No, but, I got, um, I got the Mac version. I'm running. Oh yeah. Right no, now. yeah. That's yeah. Fine. You can just buy it. What is what? Okay. I thought I was following you on Mastodon. I don't know if I am. What is your Mastodon username? Oh man, my Mastodon username is ttscoff, as usual, at nojack.easydns.ca. Okay, then I am on, I am following you there. Okay. Yeah, I I kind of want to switch to a more uh, notable instance, like, you know, mastodon.social or one of the yep. various... But I jumped on. I jumped on Mastodon early, and uh, Easy DNS, the fucking libertarians that run it, uh, <laughs> yep. had a had a pretty good privacy policy and and uh, uh, overall community policy that I agreed with. And so I jumped on that one and just kind of stuck with it. <laughs> libertarians. Um, anyway, so you guys yeah. both went. You guys both went gooey with your picks. I uh, I'm going terminal. Um, yeah. I found this yeah. new thing called McFly. Okay. Um, and it is I a replacement. So, like in in your terminal, you hit Control R and you can reverse search your command history, right? Um, I have for a long time used FZF, and uh, I've. I've set it up so I hit Control R and it pipes my entire history file through FZF and I can fuzzy search for a previous command. McFly basically offers a similar fuzzy search, not as fuzzy. You still like if you don't include a space, it won't recognize the search, uh, but it does add um, directory awareness. So it will prioritize commands that you have run in the current directory when you do the command history search, uh, which is even if even if you just hit control R and just use your arrow key to get to a command you've run in that directory, but probably not in the current session, um, it works great. It works oh. with fish. It works with Z shell. It works with bash. Um, it, it it is it is an excellent little control R history replacement. I love this. And I went to add it to my stars and it was already there. So I've clearly seen this before. <laughs> um, uh, Martian, uh, for some background, my GitHub stars is the greatest. Like, like I always tell people, don't follow me for my code because my code is worth worthless. <laughs> my stars are freaking great. Mm -hmm. I find the best stuff. So I search through my stars all the time, but I find little gems and then I forget about it. But I had McFly there. And um, I, I so clearly I looked at it at one point. I might have used it once, but I don't have it installed. I'm installing it now. Um, but I, I love this. For anyone who doesn't already know, if you go to overtiredpod.com, 
I wrote a WordPress plugin just to display Christina's starred repositories <laughs> on the website. So you scroll down to the bottom and in the footer of any page, you can find Christina's starred repositories, which is, as she said, a fantastic collection of the latest and greatest in, in open source code. Yeah, I, I, actually, I also have... Oh, sorry. sorry, go ahead. No, go on. Is McFly a reference to... Back to the future. Back to the future. I have to, to assume yes. I have to assume oh, so. It's a Which hi is history, brilliant. History yeah, search. Back to the name. future. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, right. The only thing I was going to say is that in my stars collection. So in addition to having all the stars, I, we also have a feature called lists that you can create in, in GitHub. And I have one called Mastodon Goodness, which I've been keeping relatively up to date, which is like front end clients, guides, tools, and other stuff related to Mastodon. Mm, nice. And then I have one called Playdate stuff, which is cool things for the Playdate. So nice. that is um, both of those are uh, are available. Um, as well as as the other things that I find, so just wanted to point that out there. Um, I'm I'm trying to curate um, my massive list of of stars into better organized lists for certain purposes, and uh, I happen to do I that. No, you can have lists. That's awesome. I know we don't talk about it enough because I don't think I think that I'm probably one of the biggest power users of stars working at GitHub, and I don't even work on the stars project. <laughs> I also <laughs> I also just started using GitHub Copilot. Uh, finally, finally got around to testing it out, and it turns out because of my open source contributions, like I'm at, I have free access to it. So I gotta <laughs> I gotta I gotta get I gotta get more. You said they have a feature called brushes brush mm -hmm. Copilot. Like you can like give it a function. And, and tell it to just fix any bugs in it. It just figures out what bug is. Interesting. All right. Well, Martin, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's so great. I'm so glad you could come on. And and you're like, I think this book is perfect for uh, our audience of people who are into this sort of thing. Um, I I pre-ordered it, uh, the book immediately. Thank and you. what was so funny, what was so funny was that you and I, we met in a completely unrelated way. And I saw some tweets about the book when it was kind of coming out. And I was like, wait a minute, I know him. Like, it was so <laughs> funny because, because uh, last year, uh, Martin and I spent like, more than an hour talking about hacker uh, sneakers and, and uh, just, just in DMS and we just had a fantastic conversation. It was like one of like the highlights of <laughs> yeah. like my afternoon, uh, like just, it was like a random Sunday afternoon last year. And, and, and I, it was so lovely. It was like one of those like classic, like good internet experiences where you just connect with a stranger over something. And then I, I saw the book and I was like, Oh my God. And Glenn edited it. And, and it looks like this is completely <laughs> like my shit. I was like, I'm so excited. I, I immediately told Brett and Jeff, and I'm so sad Jeff couldn't be here. I was like, no, we have to have him on because this is completely like in the pocket of everything that our audience cares about. Yep. Yeah. Yep. All right. So everyone check out shifthappens.site. Uh, you can even see 3D renderings of the book and get an idea what you are um, uh, kickstarting. And it looks amazing. I also am uh, I'm on for a pre-order. Very much looking forward to it. Um, and in the meantime, get some sleep. Get some sleep. The system is going down low. Hey there, good people. Before you go, we have a bunch of new places where you can interact with us. Please check out our Instagram feed, 
our YouTube channel, Twitter, of course, and sign up for the Overtired newsletter, which will sort of pick up where the show leaves off with expanded show notes, uh, a little bit of what the three of us get up to between episodes. And let's face it, there'll be some musings. How can you resist musings? You'll find details for all the ways to interact with us in the show notes and at overtired.com. And thank you, thank you, thank you, as always, for listening.